Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 4. One. Tanya peered out the window at the street below. The lamp at the corner burned yellow, but otherwise the street was dark. Empty, too. Good. She checked that the window's latches were still locked and then drew the thick curtain across the glass. At the same time, she snapped the braid of dried herbs she carried in her left hand, releasing a scent like old tea. The magic wafted on the air around her. A simple spell, designed to make a passerby on the sidewalk below ignore her apartment building. The windows in her kitchen and bedroom had already been secured. She cut across the apartment to her door, and for a moment, she laid her ear against the cool, slick wood and listened to the sounds of the hallway outside. Music drifted from Mrs. Budney's apartment across the way, but that was expected. Every evening, Mrs. Budney's radio was a constant hum in the background. Tanya ran her fingers over the lock, made sure it was clicked into place. Then she crumbled the herbs and sprinkled the dust on the floor. Everything was where it needed to be. Everything was secure. Tanya slipped into her kitchen and knelt to open the small cupboard next to the refrigerator. She couldn't remember the last time she had cooked with most of the tarnished pots crammed inside. She removed them one at a time, careful that they didn't clank as she lined them up on the linoleum. When she had set the last of the pots on the floor, she reached deep into the cupboard and pressed the latch that collapsed the false wall at the rear. There was a sharp pause, like the apartment was holding its breath. And then the back of the cupboard slid into Tanya's hands. She set it aside and leaned into the hidden compartment. Her hands found the radio, cold metal and rough dials. She pulled it out and sat on her heels. The radio was a small thing, scuffed from use, the numbers fading away into ghosts. 
Tanya stood up and set it on her kitchen table, then slid into a chair and switched the radio on. She didn't bother plugging it into the wall. This radio didn't need electricity to run. The radio flared with static. Tanya turned the dial, ears straining. She wasn't listening for music or messages from the party. This was not that sort of radio. The static roared. Tanya edged the dial forward. Maybe he wasn't going to speak with her today. Sometimes his voice didn't come through. Sometimes conditions weren't right. But then she heard it. A familiar whisper in the radio's white noise. Tanya froze, finger hovering near the dial. Yeah, my little bird. She let out a long breath, nudged the dial. Instantly, the static vanished, and the voice rang out through her apartment like a bell. Dadushka, she murmured. Are you there? I am here. I am always here, the voice said. Tanya slumped back in her chair and closed her eyes. That way, it was easier to pretend her grandfather was in the room with her, and not lying comatose in a hospital bed in Moscow. That this voice was really him, and not a magical recording. Trapped inside a plastic and metal box, and enchanted to speak and respond as if it really were her flesh and blood grandfather. What matters do we need to discuss tonight? Always straight to business. That was one way the disembodied voice captured her grandfather. That was the ice, really. There's a host in Prague, Tanya said. Have you secured her? Tanya opened her eyes and looked down at the radio. The dial was set to 1320. The channel was different every time, as if her grandfather's enchantment was floating aimless through the radio waves. No, she said. I gave her a pitch and two days to make her decision. I was certain she'd come with me, but she didn't. A long pause. Tanya could hear the static through the speakers. Why not? She's frightened, Tanya said defensive. The flames and the construct after her. It was her first real experience with magic. Three nights ago, she and Andula had met in the shadows of Letna Park. They had strolled through the frozen trees, and Andula had babbled her reasons for refusing. I have obligations to my family. My mother hasn't been the same since my sister vanished two years ago. And this is not my world, and I'm not sure I believe you. The flame, her grandfather's voice scoffed. Yes, that sounds like them, always so showy. The old ways are better, yes? We don't frighten the hosts. Of course not, said Tanya but she's still refusing to exfiltrate with me. We're watching her. We have her under protection. She sighed and glanced at the curtains covering her windows, keeping her shielded from the outside world. As a little girl, she'd been close to her grandfather, who had been warm and loving, despite the formalities of ice propriety. 
Sometimes she hated that all she had left of him was this voice in a box, this clever simulacrum. She knew she was perhaps being greedy, that without magic she would have nothing. But she thought nothing might be easier. Well, she isn't from one of the families. Not if the flame was able to get so close to her so quickly. I agree, Tanya said. But that doesn't mean we should just let the flame recruit her. No, her grandfather's voice said quickly. Not a host. She must come over to the ice. You know that. Tanya nodded. For the flame to gain control of a host, the results could be devastating. The flame wanted magic to burn through the fabric of reality, to leave the earth scorched and blackened. They claimed it was the only way to start anew, that the burned away reality would prove more fertile for change. The idea terrified Tanya. Yes, the ice ways could be frustrating, so rigid and tied to the past, but at least they didn't mean annihilation. I am only suggesting, her grandfather's voice said, that you must approach her differently if she is not of the ice. There are procedures, Vanutka, proper ways of acting. Tanya sighed. I haven't forgotten. Well, I don't know what influences you're under, living so far away. You mustn't forget where you come from. Remembering that, remembering your heritage, that will help you recruit the host. Tanya rubbed at her forehead. I was hoping for a bit more specific advice, Dadushka. The voice in the radio always seemed to have a stronger obedience to the established order than the grandfather she remembered. She sometimes thought her grandfather's spark of magic had been designed to be the perfect bureaucrat, a type of man no human could ever actually be. Her grandfather's voice laughed although in the distortion of the radio, it was not the warm laugh of the man who had sat with her by the fire, telling her stories of magic and sorcery. It was broken and brittle, cold, a winter laugh. <laughs> you always want specific advice, my little bird. When the best advice comes from the past, you are too modern. Our ways have worked for thousands of years. We take the cautious approach. When the time is right, the host will come to you. For now, you must concentrate on keeping her away from the flame. These things cannot be forced. If they were forced, we'd be no better than our enemies. Is that not so? Tanya rankled at the idea that her grandfather's construct thought she wanted to use flame methods, wanted anything to do with their riotous, transformative magic. The host is vulnerable, she said. I don't think it's wise to take such a passive approach. A burst of angry static erupted out of the speakers. It is not a passive approach, Tatiana Mikhailovna. It is our approach. Born out of centuries of practice. Wait, watch. 
keep her away from the flame. When the time is right, then we will act. Tanya's face flushed hot. She knew there was no point in pushing the matter. Her grandfather had designed his construct to be the perfect sorcerer of the ice. It won every argument just by digging in and staying there. The one unifying ice practice, really. Staying put. Fine, Tanya said. We'll continue what we're doing. But if the flame recruiter, you won't let that happen. Her grandfather's voice said. It was starting to distort. It was pulling away, ending the conversation before she did. You are a daughter of the ice and of Russia both. You will not bend to the whims of your enemies. The static flared on enemies, swallowing her grandfather's voice whole. Tanya stared down at the box sitting on her table. It was just a broken, dead radio now. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Gabe followed Alistair through a knot of snow-covered trees, a string of curses running through his head. It was too quiet out here in the woods to mutter them aloud. Any sound, from the crunch of snow under their feet to the huff of their breath, was amplified in the empty forest. Almost there, Alistair called out, glancing over his shoulder. He strode through the frozen wilderness outside Prague as if he were strolling through a London park on a sunny spring afternoon. Tell me, old boy, what do you feel? Cold. Gabe peered up at the tangle of black tree branches overhead. Alistair hadn't been forthcoming about why they were here. As he had driven Gabe to the outskirts of the city, he'd made small talk about his time in the field, discursive little stories that had the whiff of fishermen's tales about them. Any questions Gabe asked about where they were going and why, Alistair had deflected, eyes twinkling. Up ahead, Alistair chuckled. Funny, but try to focus. We're getting closer, and I'm sure you'll be able to feel something. You just have to try. Give it the old college try. That's what they say in America, isn't it? Gabe grunted in response. It was colder out here than it was in the city, and the air knifed across his face. He could barely feel his nose. What am I supposed to be 
Alistair said, still picking his way through the snow. Concentrate. Gabe sighed. He didn't know what the hell he was supposed to be concentrating on. There was nothing out here but trees and snow and ice. Even the wind was still. A few years back, he'd watched some trashy horror movie as part of a double feature. A gaggle of wild-haired women sacrificing goats in the woods, calling down Satan. He wondered if Alistair had seen the same movie. Seemed unlikely. This whole trip felt like an interagency prank. Take the American out to the woods, scare him a bit, send him back. But then he felt a prickle of electricity run over his skin, like he'd brushed against a live wire. What the hell? He stopped and glanced around, his muscles tense. The prickle was still there, although it didn't hurt. Not exactly. Ah, Alistair paused. I see we found it. Found what? The prickle was deepening into a low magnetic hum. Gabe felt it in his bones, his skeleton a lit up fluorescent sign. The ley line. Alistair stood beside him and closed his eyes. With his blonde hair, he looked angelic out here in the snow. It's been a while since I've stood on one in the wilderness. He looked over at Gabe. There are so many distractions in the city. You don't always feel the power of the lines. Too much noise, too much movement. Alistair flicked his hand around dismissively. It's a bit like the stars, I always thought. You're aware of them in the city, but when you step out into the wild, they're magnificent. He gazed upward, even though it was the middle of the afternoon, and the sky was the steel gray of a gun barrel. What the hell are you talking about? Gabe asked. The hum didn't seem so strong anymore. Was it actually fading, or had he just gotten used to it? His head was starting to hurt, that stinging pre-headache that always announced the imminent arrival of a migraine. Fantastic. Magic, my friend, magic. Alistair thumped Gabe on the shoulder. If you take five steps to the left here, you'll be away from the ley line. There it was again, ley line. It was a phrase Gabe had heard before, although he couldn't quite place it. Jordan, maybe? That didn't seem right. He associated it more with San Francisco hippies. Crystals and incense, ley lines. Still, Gabe stepped off to the left. The humming faded away, although the pain in his head remained. Alistair was studying him, his expression unreadable. You brought me all the way out here to show me magic exists? Gabe shook his head, laughed. I already know magic exists. Trust me, I've seen that shit. Alistair smirked. You're quite mistaken. I brought you out here to show you how magic works. Gabe's stomach went leaden. He looked at his tracks in the snow, the blurred patch where he had stood, and felt his bones vibrating inside his skin. I don't care how it works, he muttered. I just want to know how to deal with it. 
I just want the headaches to stop. Of course you do. And as I promised Jordan, we'll find a solution. But until then, you'll need a means of controlling them. And that means understanding magic. Alistair looked over at him, his eyes crinkling. I'm afraid you're a part of this world now. Gabe scowled, feeling sick at the idea that Alistair was right. Fortunately, anyone can learn magic, just as anyone can learn to play the piano. And just as with the piano, learning's no guarantee you'll be good at it, but at the very least, you'll understand what you've gotten yourself into. Alistair breathed out a puff of white air and walked over beside Gabe. He gazed out at the woods. Magic is part of the earth itself, he said. It formed out of the elements into a pattern of lines that have no sense of queen or country. They existed long before we did. Gabe shifted his weight. His headache pulsed. Always the worst possible time. If one wishes to cast a spell, Alistair went on, one only has to reach out and pluck those ley lines, metaphorically, of course, in the right pattern. Spell work really is like music. Do you play anything? Gabe shook his head. He was trying to work his way around the pain in his head to sort this out. Lines of magic, strumming a guitar. Ah, no matter, Alistair smiled. Musicality isn't required of a sorcerer. I don't want to be a sorcerer, Gabe said. I want to undo what happened to me in Cairo. He paused, remembering the heat of that back room. There was that tangle of bodies, that weird ceremony. He frowned. Alistair was still smiling at him. Is Cairo on a ley line? Gabe asked, voice low. I think he gets it. Is it or not? It is. Alistair dipped his head in a nod. A rather powerful one, if I recall correctly. Are the pieces starting to fall into place? Maybe. Gabe walked closer to the ley line, and he felt the humming at the back of his jaw. He took a step back. The humming disappeared. It's just so damned weird. Alistair chuckled. You'll get used to it. You may even start to recognize the ley lines in Prague as well. A major one runs through the city. Have you ever, Gabe felt stupid using the word, plucked it? Alistair glanced over at him. I have, he said with a slow smile. I once coordinated a spell with a sorcerer in Taipei and another in Abidjan in Côte d'Ivoire. Not an easy affair, but certainly easier these days. Technology is a marvel, even if it isn't magical. Coordinated? Gabe thought of Cairo again. Was that what he had stumbled upon? Some kind of coordinated spell? Well, of course. An individual sorcerer can't do the big spells himself, Alistair grinned. It's yet another inconvenience of the Cold War. Access to lines can be difficult for all that the miracle of long-distance phoning has given us.
You need a point in East Berlin, another in Canada. It can be difficult, but we find a way. Rituals, the preferred term for those coordinated spells, have a long history on both sides of the sorceress divide. All the major spells require a formal ritual, with a multitude of sorcerers plucking at the ley lines simultaneously. But an individual can still do a few tricks. Here, let me show you. Alistair stepped onto the ley line and then broke off a twig from a tree growing nearby. He held the twig up. Gabe felt like a bored nephew watching an uncle's magic trick. But then, Alistair closed his eyes and murmured in a language that Gabe didn't recognize. It was guttural and ancient, and Gabe felt a creeping sensation at the back of his neck, as if he were being watched. The pinprick of pain in his head flared, and at the same moment, so did Alistair's twig, a tiny yellow flame shooting up into the cold air. Nothing much more than a parlor trick, really, but Gabriel, his voice seemed far away. Gabe clutched at his head. The pounding drilled deep into his brain, and he landed on his knees in the snow with a shout. Gabriel, a hand on his back. Alistair was kneeling beside him. Oh dear, is it one of your headaches? Yeah, Gabe muttered. The tide of pain was subsiding, but like the tide, it left a residue in its wake. Gabe dug the heel of his hand into his forehead. And it struck as I was pulling the fire, didn't it? Alistair helped Gabe to his feet and guided him through the snow, away from the ley line. The pain quieted a bit more. Gabe nodded. That language, that had done it. Those eerie words. What were you speaking? He asked, turning to look up at Alistair. A spell. Alistair led Gabe over to a nearby tree, and Gabe leaned against it. The pain was gone, except for one stinging point. In an ancient language, the name of which has been lost to time. I thought coming out here was supposed to help me. Gabe gazed at the snow-covered forest. Jordan had promised Alistair would be able to help him but they were no closer to a cure here in the wilderness than he had been sitting in the back room of Jordan's bar. I'm trying to help you, yes. Alistair ambled through the snow, his hands tucked in his pockets. He didn't look at Gabe. But your headaches are magical in origin, which means you have to understand magic if you're to truly defeat them. I can't simply wave a magic wand and make them go away. Alistair fluttered one hand lazily through the air. Too damn bad, Gabe muttered. In truth, he had hoped that was exactly what Alistair could do. Say a few unsettling words on a ley line and banish the headaches completely. They're interfering with my job. I imagine they are here in Prague. Gabe nodded. He pressed his back against the tree. Wet snow seeped through his trousers, chilling him. This is a good thing, though, Alistair went on. 
The first step to finding a cure, a true cure, not just treatment for the symptoms, is to understand the disease. Do you understand the disease? Gabe peered up at him. Alistair paused. For the first time, a breeze gusted through the forest, rattling the branches of the trees. Not yet, he said, but I will. That I promise you. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Kao. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.